Well, today uh, we are indeed honored to have our opening convention speaker. Now, I know opening convention is not as early as opening because we had to arrange it to be able to match the schedule of our speaker. Uh, I was privileged to be at the Central Florida District Assembly, as I was 17 other assemblies this summer. But what a great experience. It was one of the high points of my life this summer. And there was a choir of 500 children on the platform, or it looked like 500 to me. And uh, Dr. Miller Reed and I sat there and talked about it and said, now, they're opening the service. He said, can you imagine who's going to take care of those 500 students while the service goes on? But anyhow, it was, it was a marvelous beginning. And it uh, sort of uh, put forth a philosophy that I was taught by uh, someone years ago, and that is that it's what's up front that counts, because you put 500 kids up front, and you got a thousand moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and everybody else that's out there as well. And so uh, it, was, it was a great time. His report was just outstanding. No one has interpreted Nazarene Bible College to his constituency better than, uh, than uh, our speaker. He uh, went to Trevecca in 1967. He was sitting in chapel, in a fall chapel, so that's this time of year, and God spoke to his heart about ministry. It's interesting, in 1967, our chapels were taking place at the very beginning of this college over across the freeway on Bijou Street in Old First Church. And so right as we were being founded, he was, uh, he was in chapel, and God called him to ministry. He began his ministry as a youth minister there on the uh, Florida district uh, in northern Florida and then served uh, in Ohio, Texas, and then back to Lakeland, Florida, where from that church he was elected district superintendent. Marvelous growth in all of his churches, a great spiritual leader, and uh, I, I was just so impressed with what I saw. And I, I just feel like you're going to be blessed for us to have him here today. And as I mentioned last night, not only do you have an opportunity to meet him, but he has an opportunity to meet finest staff in any Nazarene education, and faculty, and also finest students, men and women who are called of God. And it's so good to have you here today, Reverend Dr. Larry Dennis. Thank you very much. Wow. Mm. Appreciate that incredible introduction. I'd like to have an audio copy of that for my wife, if possible. I think that there are certain times in my life where I'd like to just play that for her. So, uh, thank you so much, Doctor. It's good to be with you. My heart's been touched this morning uh, as we've been in this place. Um, I think I got hold of it, Chaplain, when uh, we were singing, uh, You're Awesome in This Place. Uh, last night, I felt the same way, and uh, as we gathered together, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so rich and fresh last night and again today. And, uh, you know, I look at this beautiful building, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have a cot here somewhere. You know that. When we sing, you are awesome in this place, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and inside of all of our hearts. And so, as we gather together like this, and we celebrate Him, the Holy Spirit living on our hearts is multiplied exponentially by the number of people in this room who are serious about serving the Lord. So, so I was standing there singing, and just to kind of got caught up in the motion in the moment I was just thinking Lord there must be a lot of people in this room that are deeply committed to you and passionate about serving you so it's an honor for me to be here I just feel uh, I just can't tell you how what a privilege it is and to stand in your presence um, I think about staff today I, I think about the incredible importance and I 
that ran through my mind as we were singing, uh, the sacrifices that are made when I was in uh, college and graduate school, I, I don't think I really understood the sacrifices of faculty and staff, and then the gifts of the faculty and staff. But as you get a bit older, you begin to see, wow, those people were there and molded and shaped my life for all eternity. And so take advantage of it, students. Uh, you might not have the opportunity to rub shoulders with this many quality people, again, who are so committed and dedicated at one particular institution. And students, uh, wow. And whenever I uh, interviewed last year here a number of students, I went away telling all my colleagues. I didn't want to tell them names, other superintendents' names, but I just said, that is the best, forgive me for using this term, crop of graduates or prospective graduates I've ever met with in my life, the seminary or any of our colleges, just phenomenal. So uh, I'm looking forward, I'm gonna be interviewing a few today, or maybe you'll be interviewing me, I don't know, but we'll have a good time together, and I look forward to that as well. Well, uh, enough of that. Let, let me just get into the message for a few moments. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about falling in love again. I wanna to talk to you about keeping your heart pure and keeping your heart hot after God. Uh, I like to exercise a little bit. Um, this year I did all the Palcons except the Canadian Palcon, and so I, I just fell out of good graces with the little gym that I go to there in town where I like to work out. But uh, before I ever left, there, there's a, a lady there that, uh, she's uh, a neighbor of mine, a small little Asian American, and she's a personal trainer. And I've been going to the gym for years, just kind of trying. My goal is to live till I die. I don't lift weights and do all that kind of stuff. I just, I just want to be able to keep uh, vertical till I die. That's my goal. And so uh, uh, she came up to me once, and I do the same machine, same kind of thing. You know how we are. We're just creatures of habit. And she, one of her customers didn't show up, or I guess they call them clients. I don't know. But, and she just came up and said, uh, hey, Larry, she said, you do anything with balance or anything? I guess I look out of balance, and I probably looked that way my whole life. But she, and I said, well, talk to me. She said, well, i got a few minutes. I could show you a couple things if you want me to. I said, yeah. So then she went and got one of those big round blue balls. Have you been in the gym? Yeah, okay. And she brought that out. She said, I want to show you a couple things if you want. I said, yeah, because, I mean, people pay this lady, you know, $70 an hour, so I'm, it's free. So I said, keep talking, ladies, or what's going on, you know. And so uh, she had me sit on that ball. And she went and she said, what do you do when you, when you do dumbbells? I said, what'd you call me? I, no, she said, when you do dumbbells, she said, what, what do you usually do? And I said, well, I lay on the bench and uh, I do about 35 pounds. That's all I do. She said, okay. So she went and got me two 35-pound dumbbells. She said, sit here on this. She said, okay. I want you to get on the ball, sit on it with your buttocks there, and then I want you just to roll forward so there's nothing of your body on the ball except your shoulders. I said, oh, really? And she said, yeah, that's what I want you to do. So she helped me, and I'm laying out there. My knees are bent, so I'm sort of, you know, perpendicular or parallel with the floor there. And she hands, she hands me the weights, and she said, okay, I want you to. And so when you think about this, all you got is this little ball up down here in your shoulders. Your feet are out here. She said, oh, by the way, spread, or, uh, put your feet together. You're cheating. You know? So I had my legs all spread out, you know, so I was going, she said, you're cheating. She said, okay. So I started going up and down, you know. And, I mean, it was so, like twice as hard as on this hard steel bench that you usually, padded bench that you usually work on. And she said, it's all about balance. She said, how's your stomach feeling? I said, well, right now it's pretty tight. And she said, that's the way it's supposed to be. She said, how about your legs, your thighs, your calves? I said, yeah, they're pretty tight right now. She said, how about your pecs? I said, well, they're, you know, as tight as my pecs will probably ever be. That's about where they are right now. And she said, you see? 
you're not only working hard with your arms, she says, but you're working hard with your whole body right now to keep from falling on the floor. And I said, that's exactly right. She said, one of the things in life that we're finding out, she said, very few people ever do anything with both hands. Now kind of think about that. She said, when you pick something up, usually don't you just bend over and pick it up? And I said, yeah. She said, so when we're working out with weights and both arms on this huge big barbell and everything, you know, we're doing everything trying symmetrically. She says, really, that's not in direct proportion or parallel to the lives that we live. She said, we're going a different direction. She said, and balance is the key. Then uh, she gave me a, I think it was a 12-pound medicine ball. And uh, she said, I want you just to take a step forward and go down as far as you can go. And by the way, hold this ball out. And when you take the next step and go down as far as you can go, put the ball over here. So, I mean, I was like a drunk man. You know, I've got this medicine ball, and I'm going down. I'm not used to that. So it wasn't long. Fifteen steps this way, fifteen steps back. My legs were throbbing. And she said, it's all about balance. You get this ball way out here. You're thinking mentally going forward. It's not, you're not just doing lunges, trying to keep your legs taut and strong. She said, it's all about balance. Jesus knew all about balance long before my little friend in the gym knew about balance. Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, verse 30, verse 31. You know the story. I think it was a, I think it was a sincere question. What is the greatest of all commandments? And Jesus, like he did so often, the writer gives no time or indication that Jesus paused or thought about his answer. I mean, Jesus just directly said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can almost see Jesus. I just love to get a picture of this in my mind. And you can see Him almost drawing the people closer, motioning to them, welcoming them to share this moment of truth with them to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength. One writer says this is the passage of the alls. Or if you read the Shema, which this is taken from in the book of Deuteronomy, it's the it's a passage of the holes. Very, very critically important. He doesn't say love the Lord your God with your mind, soul, heart, and strength. But he uses the all, and he uses it over and over and over again. And you begin to look at this, it's really all about balance. Shema says, For you shall love the Lord your God with your whole soul and your whole mind. Let's kind of put our track shoes on and then run down through these four things, shall we? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. We spent a lot of time on heart last night, so we won't deal with that in great detail today. But, but I'll just, Neil Wiseman, I think he nailed it pretty well when he said, the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. 
the heart has everything to do with who we are. It has to do with our hopes and our fears and our dreams and our personalities. It has to do with our longings and our desires. That's the heart. And when he says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, he's talking about the, the very central part of our being. And so to stay focused, the first thing is we look at who we are and we say, Lord, First of all, starting off all of me, the, the seat of all of my emotions, the seat of all my dreams. Lord, I just lay it over and, and I give it over to you and, and I trust you with that. What are the ways you do that? I think in ministry, and I, I think our staff is, has just done a phenomenal job here. I've only been here 24 hours and already I've just been so loved and, and so included. It was so cute in the library yesterday. I went begging for six... Um, paper clips and uh, to use and we got in a little conversation there and had so much fun and the school was able to afford me six paper clips uh, yesterday and they were handed and passed along to me with great love and great compassion uh, okay. <laughs> business manager yeah yeah VP of finance or yeah all right I know one of the things that happens uh, for laymen and uh, clergy alike is that sometimes we forget who we are. And consciously, I think we all need to remind, be reminded that we are shepherds. We are shepherds of the king. And we have responsibility. And we see people in our lives and we follow them and, and we lead them at the same time with a shepherd's heart. I had a chance to be not long ago in downtown Kansas City, Missouri for the general board meeting. And on Sunday morning, all the good general board members went to First Church and, and they went to a college, Olathe Church. And a couple of friends, well, another friend of mine and I, we went to the Bishop's Church in downtown, the big cathedral in downtown Kansas City, the one with the big gold dome. It's phenomenal to me. And the priest, I just, I just loved it. I just got so caught up in it and how much he loved the Word. And, and to watch him before he read the Gospels, to hold it up like this. And then he opens it and then he kisses the very Word of God. I see that priest of that church is growing by leaps and bounds. They had a, a number of people that are standing in front of the chapel or the uh, sanctuary that day. As I remember, there were 20-some, most of them under 25 years of age, have no Roman Catholic background whatsoever, but are candidating to become members of the Roman Catholic Church. This three-month process where they're not even allowed to take Holy Communion, but they want to be a part so much. I watched that, sh that pastor, that priest, walk across the platform in his flowing robes. And when he puts that on on Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever else he dons those robes, he's always reminded that those robes are tied back. Now think about it. Those robes are directly tied into, symbolic of the shepherds on the hillsides in Judea. And he sees himself on Sunday morning or whenever he's preparing for a Mass. And he puts that on and ready to step out. He is reminded by what he is wearing that he is a shepherd. Shepherds protect the flock and shepherds love the flock. Don't ever forget that. You're going to find some goats in your herd. Let me tell you when your days come. Some sheep are easier to love than others, but you are still nonetheless a shepherd. And so you treat them with love and compassion, and sometimes you'll be tempted to use the rod and the staff, but go sparingly with that. It's amazing how much more you can get from people when you really do just love them. Love the Lord the God, your God with all of your heart. And then, love the Lord your God with all of your soul. Your, your soul is your... It's the only part of you today that you'll take into eternity with you. 
Absolutely nothing else goes. Your soul, your never dying soul. Uh, we love to sing that song because we're hungry, at least those of us who are older. Some of you young people might have never heard it before in your whole life. And when he talked to you about me going to Trevecca in 1967, somebody was saying, now was that before electricity or after electricity was? I, I know you young people. And he used to sing a song, Whiter Than Snow. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want Thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me that I shall be whiter than snow. All this hunger and this longing for our soul to be pure. Henry Nowen says it's a burning desire to forever be united with God. He's not talking about eternity only. He's talking about now, that connection, that engraftedness to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ with your soul. We're busy people. And when I talk to you and say that if you're going to keep your soul where it needs to be, if you're going to stay balanced, because we have to have our mind loving the Lord, we have to have our soul loving the Lord, if we're going to stay balanced with that soul thing, it has to do with silence and prayer and meditation. And You are some of the busiest people on the planet. I talked to a young man yesterday, new on campus, and he's wife and children. He's got a full-time job. He's going to school at nights. He was talking about trying to study and keep his family in place and to take care of his job. That's a, that's a sales job and it's a commission job and it's one of those no sell, no eat kind of jobs. And I thought, wow. But yet in the meantime, there still has to be that silent time, doesn't there, to feed the soul. Eugene Peterson writes in one of his books, in Herman Melville's Moby Dick, there is a turbulent scene in which a whaleboat scuds across a frothing ocean in pursuit of the great white whale, Moby Dick. The sailors are laboring fiercely, every muscle taut, all attention and energy concentrated on the task. The cosmic conflict between good and evil is joined, chaotic sea and demonic sea monster versus the morally outraged man, Captain Ahab. In this moment, however, there is one man who does nothing. He doesn't hold an oar. He doesn't perspire. He doesn't shout. He is languid in the crash and the cursing. This man is the harpooner, quiet and poised and waiting. And then this sentence in his book, to ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart, the harpooners of this world must start to their feet out of idleness, not out of toil. There has to be the time when everything else is blowing and everything else is going, when the pressures are and the screaming is going on. There has to be a time when one is faithful, one is quiet, one is disciplined. When I was a young pastor, I went to see W.A. Criswell, that time pastoring the largest Baptist church in America, probably the world, downtown Dallas. I was pastoring Richardson and made an appointment to see him. It was like going to see the Pope. I mean, it was incredible. This huge church, this stately man, snow white hair, I mean, dressed immaculately. He greeted me and welcomed me in to his office there at the first church, at the first Baptist church of Dallas. After a few moments, he said, Son, why have you come to see me? I said, I have two questions, and I don't have time to share both those questions with you now, but I'll share one. I said, Dr. Criswell, 
I want to know how you stay so fresh. Now you have to understand, Dallas First Church, the time I was there, they had had two pastors that century. That was in 1985. Dr. Truett and Dr. Criswell, both of them 40 plus years. So I said, how do you stay so fresh? I've been pastoring there 43 or 44 years at that time. I said, people get on airplanes and they fly in here to hear you preach on Sunday morning from across America because you're always so fresh. He looked at me and he said, young man, is your office in your home or is it in your church? And I said, oh, it's in my church. And he said, worst thing you can do, worst thing you can do. He said, I told my people when I came here 43 years ago, if they'd let me have my mornings with Jesus, I'd do anything they wanted me to do the rest of the day. He said, every morning I stay in my office, prepare my sermon in my pajamas. My wife handles the calls, he said, and then I come in the office about noon. Now, I thought, man, if, if a man who had 20,000 members in his church could take a couple of hours each morning to study and pray on his face before God, then surely I could do it. But then I thought, I don't know, I'm such a busy pastor. Here I was pastoring this church. And I said, uh, but Dr. Criswell, I said, I've got three little boys at home. He said, how big's your church? And I said, about 500. He said, would you rather have three interruptions in a morning or 500? Now, many of you will go into bivocational ministry. That is the trend, my friends. You will see more of it, not less of it, in the future. You need to be prepared for that. You'll have to be strong and say, I, I work at Walmart, or I teach school, or I do computer tech, and I also am a minister in the Church of the Nazarene. You have to be prepared for that. It's, it's coming more and more and more. But I will tell you, if you do not find a place and find a time to feed your soul, you will be so weak and ineffective and out of balance. Mind. Feed our minds. Uh, you want to be a student forever, don't you? I was in a young pastor's study about a month ago before the service started. and He had gone through our course of study on the district. I'm, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this. And there were a box of books on the floor. And one of them was our three volumes set on holiness. One of them was H. Ray Dunning's book on our theology. Some grand books. I, you know, I still to this day, I'm not embarrassed to tell you this, when I write some sermons, some doctoral sermons, and some of you don't even know who H. Orton Wiley is, you're so young, but I still pull out H. Orton Wiley's books on the doctrine of the church. I still use my little dictionary on theology, my beacon dictionary on theology occasionally. I still pull out H. Ray Dunning's book, and I love those three volume sets on holiness. I looked and I, he saw me look down and he said, oh, I said, I'm, I'm selling some of my books. I said, you're selling your theology books? Yeah, I don't think I need them anymore. <laughs> we had a little come to Jesus talk. <laughs> you'll be studying, you'll be striving, you'll be stretching. Keep your mind fed. And then also with your mind, the proverb, right of the Proverbs, talks about steel sharpening steel. It's, it's so very incredibly important that you're in accountability with other people as well. We desperate, I think we need that more today than ever before. 
When I was a young pastor and I moved to Richardson, Texas, I went from a, a tiny little town, well, not too tiny, Xenia, Ohio. But the, the county, the whole county had 17,000 people. And then I showed up. One week I was pastoring in a whole county of 17,000 people. The next week I was in Dallas, Texas, in the Metroplex where 3.5 million people reside. I mean, I showed up and I was like Gomer Pyle. Golly. I mean, I just... I, 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 the church could, I was there 10 years, they could have fired me justifiably every week, at least the first year I was there. They were so kind and so gracious and so forgiving and so loving. But in that process, I had a hard time adjusting. I mean, one day, I, my wife brought a note to me that she had found in my son's room, who's a seventh grader, who wasn't happy with the transition and was not happy that we had pulled him up and uprooted him from Xenia to Dallas. And we had been there a few months already. And she found the note, and he had drawn a little smoking gun with a little smoke coming out of it. And it said, I will kill myself. That's a serious moment in the life of a mom and a dad in a seventh grade. About that time, I got a call from a Church of Christ pastor. He said, Larry, I'm putting together an accountability group. He didn't even know me. I just wonder if you might be interested. For the next two years, a Church of Christ pastor, a Nazarene pastor, two Presbyterian pastors, and an Episcopal priest. There were alcoholism problems in that group. There was one pastor whose daughter was anorexic and was going to die if something didn't happen. I had a seventh grader that we were living on pins and needles with. And I want to tell you what, it changed my life. We met every other week for two hours. Nobody asked, how many did you have in Sunday school last week? Nobody said, how many did you have in church last Sunday morning? Each of us talked about what we were going through. We did talk about the Word. We did pray together. And somehow, some way, the five of us held hands together for two years, all of us in larger churches with pressure-packed situations. And God saw us through. Take care of your heart. Take care of your soul. Take care of your mind. And then the strength, all of your strength, that has to do with our possessions. It has to do with what we can hold in our hands. It has to do with our bodies. It has to do with us. It has to do with sort of the physical things of life. Jesus was so incredibly wise, wasn't he? Now think about it. Think about the blue ball. Think about trying to stay balanced. You're lifting weights at the same time. You're trying to stay parallel to the floor. You're trying to keep from falling over. You're trying to build a little bit of muscle or at least tone some muscle. And in your life, Jesus looks at us and he says, if we're going to stay erect, if we're going to live till we die spiritually, if we're going to make it, then we as His children, have to stay balanced. And the last one's the one we never want to talk about. Your strength. Taking care of our bodies. That's so incredibly important. Letting Him know that we are serious. Our bodies are a gift from Him. And some of you say, I wish it was Christmas again. But, but His bodies are a gift from the Lord. Our bodies are a gift from the Lord. Just like the money that we have, our strength, possessions, how do we take care of that? One of the most horrifying calls that the district superintendent can get is from a church treasurer that says, my pastor isn't tithing. Take care of your strength, the things you can hold in your hand, things you're stewards over. And your body, what are you going to do with that? You're a steward over it. Some of us have learned that when we eat meals, we need to cut right down in half when they bring, the server brings them. We cut the meat in half. We half out it's potatoes, and the vegetables usually aren't a problem, but if you love bread, you cut that in half, and, and you just eat half of it, and usually it's enough. 
My wife and I, when we eat out, it's a little embarrassing. And some people probably think that we're probably too cheap. But when we go, we love to go to Outback. Oh, my goodness. Order that Victoria Filet. Ooh. We always just split it. People say, oh, that cheap preacher, he's coming back in here again, you know. But, you know, it doesn't take long. And all of a sudden, they find out there's a lot of this. is just about what we need. In the mornings, I carry with me when I travel. I'll be leaving here and going to South Carolina doing a revival. I'm excited about that. Next week, I get to be in Iowa. Well, actually, I'm going to be in Branson for the Iowa Pastors and Wives Retreat. And I have a chance to talk to pastors. Well, no, no. For, that was a horrible thing. It's unforgivable. The Minister and Mates Retreat. I apologize and beg your forgiveness. Be there for the Minister and Mates Retreat. I carry with me tennis shoes everywhere I go. I carry with me a little parka. Try to get up early, set my clock an hour earlier, have my prayer time, get on, just walk. And, but you've got to do it. You have to do it. It's a, it's a privilege this body the Lord has given you, and you've got to take care of it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And we don't have time to get to our neighbor. Maybe we will tonight. Our neighbor as ourselves. It's a lot of work staying balanced. But your whole ministry is going to be difficult. They can't pay you enough to do what you're going to be doing or what you're doing now. The staff here could all have their salary doubled, and in the business world, they'd still be underpaid. You staff, there's no way the school can pay you what you're worth. Challenges, the people that don't understand, the struggles. But there is an incredible reward, isn't there, in knowing that you are where the Lord wants you to be. In closing, there's a good friend of mine. His name's Cliff Lafferty. Some of you might know him or have known him. He's a young, young pastor, house full of kids, four children. On a work and witness trip, they were tying rebar. Any of you ever done that before? Wire, and it's sharp. Yeah, that's right. Somebody's gritting their teeth. It's tough to do that. And they were getting ready to pour the floor of one of our seminaries in Central America. He said his hands were all bloody and all these cuts on his hands like everybody else's. 10 o'clock in the morning, it was hot, they were sweaty. So they took a break to walk down the hill from the seminary into the little village to one of these mom and pop stores to get a cold Pepsi. He said on the way down, these little houses, hobbles, he said they were just tin, you know, corrugated, discarded, discarded pieces of plywood and trash and cardboard. He said, and as he heard some moaning and he kind of said, I peeked my head and in this little opening in one of these little tiny places. And it was dirty and smelly in there. But I saw an older man. He looked like an older man trying to get up off of this cot. And the rest, and he told, I told the rest, go ahead. I'm going to peek my head in here. And so he said, I walked around. And, said, and I just reached around to help this man who was trying so desperately to get up. And he said, when I, when I reached around to pick him up, he said, I thought, man, this man is sweating profusely. And he said, once I got him righted, I looked and my hands were just bright red with blood and turned around and his whole back was just open bleeding sores. He said, I went to the Red Cross to get blood not long after that and I got a notice quickly to come see them and they said I had tested positive for HIV. Nazarene elder, four kids at home, very sick. Ends up in Florida where some people love him and helped him buy a house as he prepares to die. One day I was talking to him about some, I was his pastor, then about some preacher stuff. Something I was kind of troubled with, you know, and I guess I was just complaining a little bit. Sanctified complaining, we call it, by the way. Sitting across the table at a restaurant. I'll live, I'll remember it till I die, and I had a chance to tell this story at his funeral. He looked across the table at me and he said, So, Larry, tell me, 
When God called you to ministry, did you think it was going to be easy? Those words have stuck and stuck and stuck. The words of a dying man who had given his all, his, literally his life for the kingdom. So I would say to you, keeping in balance will never be easy. But we all know out-of-balance ministers, don't we? And to be honest, we don't like to spend much time around them because they're like some of these muscle heads that they've just got muscles in part of their body but the atrophied in the rest of their body. So I would encourage you to do everything you can to stay on that little rubber ball and keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And if you'll keep balanced, God will bless and honor your work. Let's stand together, shall we?